Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Well, tonight I don't want to talk long, but I, I, I simply want to add to the, the, the excitement and the sense of privilege of leading people to Christ. Now, I know that in, in many places when you say that, Christians go, no, talk about me. I've got problems. I've got pain. I've got all kinds of issues. That's maybe true, but there's nothing more exciting. And you know, I've been around 60 years. I've tried a few things. I, I wasn't born a Christian. Okay, so I've tried a few things. But there's nothing, anyway, there's nothing more exciting and there's no greater pleasure than leading someone to Christ. Or... Oh, I love that clapping over that. I like that. And the church is the, the womb. It is the place that gets to create atmospheres and environments and spiritual climates in which people can be exposed to the glory of God, to the goodness of God, to the true nature of God's kindness. You know, and Jesus came and He, he, he didn't announce 12 or 10 or five primary purposes. Jesus announced as best as I know, three primary purposes. I have come to seek and to save the lost. I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. I have come to reveal the goodness of my Father to planet Earth. Come on. And I just think keeping the main thing, the main thing is the main thing. I just think keeping focused on a few priorities with laser-like sharpness is where people penetrate and cut through in life and get the results and arrive at the end of their life looking back saying, thank God for a life lived this way and thank God for the legacies that are accelerating into the future when I leave. To me, Tony's dad, 80, 80, 80 years young tonight, see him, I just go, Whoa, he's 20 years further than me and he's hard and he's strong. And I'm going, Lord, I'm inspired. I wanna stay around long enough. I wanna stay around long enough to see multitudes come to know Christ. Can you say amen? So I know there's uh, different temperaments, different types of people find it easier, especially the extroverts to, to share the gospel with the lost. But you know, I'm an introvert. I don't know if you know that. I'm an introvert posing or pretending to be an extrovert. And the anointing enables me to do that. But I'm shy. I, I do say, will you say amen sometimes because I'm a bit insecure. In fact, I've been doing this for 37 years and I'm nervous every time. Got butterflies in my stomach. They're not even flying in formation tonight. I can normally get them in a bit of formation, but I am nervous because this subject has eternity imprinted all over it. It has got eternity imprinted all over it. And I, I know this, that you know this, that we will take nothing from this earth except people. Yeah. And it's people, this, this is a year where the redemptive initiatives of God, the loving kindness of God are reaching across our planet in an unprecedented way. Can you say amen? <laughs> you know, the prophets say in the last day, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all people. You know, today, we, we, people talk about God's judging the world and God's doing that. No, no, the full integrity of heaven's justice was satisfied by the cross. Jesus Christ redeemed us from the curse of judgment. He redeemed us from punishment. He took it in our place. 
And so there's, there's a day of judgment coming, but we're living in the last days. Judgment is one day. In the last days, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. All Australians are going to feel the presence of the living God, the love of God reaching out to them. You know, we arrived on Monday. Uh, we did the Friday night. I did a wedding Friday night, Saturday night service in Hong Kong, Sunday morning service. Got in a plane, flew to uh, uh, Australia, arrived here after an hour and a half sleep and walked on the beach down to Gulwa, uh, where I, I just love to run there and walk there. And I found myself just smiling and laughing and just singing songs, you know, happy-go-lucky songs. And I said, Lord, why am I so happy? And he said, because you're in Australia, mate. And I said, there you go. There you go. Whenever I come to Australia, God speaks with an Australian accent. In Hong Kong, he goes, Laoma. <laughs> God can speak any language. And I believe that Australia has been raised up right now and been positioned by the living God for a, a, one of the greatest releases of His glory over a nation. Uh, we, we, we put 14 years into this nation. We are captured by this nation. We love this nation. And we believe that this church, Victory Church, I, I believe that when I look here and I see young people, middle-aged people, and 80-plus young people, this is a house that God is creating such color. You don't have to be an extrovert to share the gospel. You don't have to be an introvert. You just have to be a simple person full of the love of God and full of the Holy Spirit. So I, I want to I just talk to you a little bit about how I came to faith. You could call it a testimony, but it's quite religious, that word. No, it's how I came to faith. And I want you to see the inward workings of someone that this was my situation. I wanted this story to be true, but I was so cynical and critical of Christians. And I didn't really like Christians, but secretly I was longing that what they were saying was true. It sounded like a fairy tale to me. And I was very philosophical, analytical. I thought of science. My dad was an atheist. And I wanted, to, I wanted this to be the truth. So when Christians tried to share the gospel with me, I was terrible. I debated them. I argued with them. And many of them later told me, after I became a Christian, we nearly lost our faith trying to convert you to Christ. Because <laughs> I was so aggressive. But inside I was going, I hope this is true. Is this credible? You know, it, it, if I'm going to invest my life into something totally, then I need to know that with conviction, this is the truth. I'm not interested in being brainwashed. I'm not interested in that. I want to know it's the truth. So I'm going to speak for about 20 more minutes, I think. But I want you just to lift your hands right now or just bow your head or do whatever you do in prayer. And I want you just to, to say, Father, when Rob's finished, by the time Rob's finished speaking, I want your heart for the state of the lost, to reach the lost, to be deeply imprinted into my heart, a little bit more deeper. I want to be more sensitive. Father, we ask in the name of the Lord Jesus that the heart of the Redeemer, the heart of the Father that reaches out to the broken, the lost, the well-to-do, the poor and the wealthy, the educated and uneducated, Lord, your heart reaching out across the city of Adelaide, your heart that reaches into this city, Lord, I pray it would reach deeper into our hearts tonight and that we would be able to operate, Father, out of integrity, that we'd be true to ourselves, that we would share the gospel in unique ways that, that you have tailor-made for us. There are people out there that need 
the uniqueness of each individual here, and we don't want to dilute our uniqueness. We don't want to copy evangelists. We just want to be who we are as we share this wonderful, liberating truth about our God in Jesus' mighty name. I grew up in a home, as I've said already, a good home, actually a happy home. My dad was an atheist, uh, and atheism means you don't believe God exists. I don't know how you can prove that because, you know, it's very hard to search the entire universe because God could be there somewhere. But atheism basically believes that the impersonal time plus impersonal chance with impersonal matter somehow in an impersonal way formed itself into personal complexities and thus contradicted the second law of thermodynamics. To be an atheist really is like, takes a lot of faith, but it's a kind of religious faith that you have to take a blind leap into the dark. Christianity is not a blind leap into the dark. It's a, a step into the light. It is based on clear intellectual evidence, science, as science improves, science is supporting inspiration of the Word of God. Even as computers have come, they've discovered a whole number code in the Bible that no one could have the intelligence to produce it. And there are people that are atheists that say, the Bible code is amazing. We don't know how to explain it. There is no God, but aliens must have come from another planet and, and produced the Bible. Listen, the Bible is inspired. You can have intellectual evidence for that. You don't have to kiss your brains goodbye. But there's also an encounter with God that will change your life forever. When you meet Jesus, that is the greatest experience of your life. And so I loved my dad and I respected him and I had the pleasure of leading him to Christ before he passed into heaven. And I led his brother who captained the South African football team. And I led his younger brother to Christ who was a specialist in the, in, in the, in, in the army who killed lots of people. And, uh, and I led him to Christ. Very hardened man, he came to Christ. I led my, all my aunties and uncles to Christ. I led my brothers and sisters to Christ. I, I just, when I got saved, I couldn't help but lead people to Christ. I, I, when I became a pastor, I was a little bit frustrated because I wasn't working with unsaved people anymore because I want to be amongst the unsaved. When I was a high school teacher in a high school that had 1,000 young men from 13 to 20, some of them had bigger beards than I had as their teacher, but I led 700 of those young men to Christ. All our first team rugby teams came to Christ. The teachers and the coaches came to Christ. It's just something you can't help it, but you just got to do it. And my mom was an agnostic. That means she, and I led her to Christ, but she, she, agnostics say there could be a God, but you know, if there is a God, He's infinite and we're finite. So how can we cross the mysterious threshold into the infinite realm uh, as finite beings? That's good arguing, but the infinite can cross the threshold to the finite realm. And that's what God did in Christ Jesus. And He came over. And so, although there was no faith for generations back, there, were no, there was no Christians in our family tree going back. Um, I, I, I go back to a king called King Rufus, William Rufus, who ruled in Southern England. And we've traced our roots back to him and our family tree. Uh, he killed bishops. He, 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 was a, he, he was a very bad king. He killed bishops. If he didn't agree with the bishop, he killed them. And finally, my great ancestor was murdered in the forest by William Turrell with, a, with an arrow into his head. Anyway, so all my ancestors were either spirit mediums, alcoholics, murderers, thugs. And I got saved, first generation believer in the Rufus lineage. And, and I led the family to Christ and beyond that. Now my 
grandchildren are in Christ. Many of them. Not all of them, but many of them. All, all five in Hong Kong. You say, what kind of grandkids? Anyway, sorry, you're getting all serious now. Sorry, I just... So where's this going? With all of that demonic lineage in our background, at the age of six years of age, playing in my parents' garden, just being on my own, suddenly the supernatural presence of God came upon me. I wasn't expecting it, but as soon as the presence of God came on me, I knew exactly this is God. This, is make, this makes me feel very valuable, very celebrated, and very precious. Uh, I didn't know how to go and talk about it to my mom and dad, but I knew this was God. And I wanted to find that presence again. I wanted to know who this God is. And I tried. I tried at school. I went to some churches even, and I'm not being critical, but God wasn't there. You know, church without the presence of God is like McDonald's without hamburgers. It just doesn't make any sense. And as I grew up, uh, I, I got more and more frustrated I only got saved at the age of 23. Um, at 18 years of age, I was conscripted into the military. And I, uh, we had nine months of training. Our last three months was so intensive, even though I was uh, one of the top and fastest runners in, short, in, in long distance running at school. The last three months of uh, advanced training in the military was so intense that I thought I was going to lose my mind. And then we went into combat situations. And in those situations, you become very sober. And you begin to realize that, hey, life is actually brief. Even though you're that young, you know, just like that, you can be snuffed out. And then I went to university. And in university, the one I went to was a crazy place. A lot of atheists. Even the theology students in the theology section were becoming atheists because some of their professors were atheists teaching theology. Some of their professors didn't believe in a physical resurrection. And the more exposed to that and sitting in... Uh, bars and, and getting into fights, but I always had big friends to help me and all kinds of stuff. And, and you know, about 12 o'clock at night, we'd throw all the furniture through the windows and the police would come and we'd run through the back doors and have the police running after us. But I eventually got to a place where I thought, what is the purpose of my life? What, what is really going on? I'd met Glenda by that stage. I married her when she was 17 and I was 20. I didn't want anyone else to get her before me. And, uh, and I'm about to ask the big questions. What is the purpose? What is this about? Where is that presence I felt as a six-year-old? I really believe that every human being, every Australian, has a God consciousness, has a God awareness. They know there is a God. The Bible says the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Because people actually know deep down here, despite Hawkins' science, black holes and all this stuff. I've read his books, by the way. They're full of gaps, but I won't go into that. Something in me said, there's more to life than this. And so I kind of had given up on the church. I thought the church was ridiculous and a waste of time. I tried to find God there, and I made a big mistake. I shouldn't have given up on the church. But I began to look in all kinds of mystical things, new agey stuff, pantheism, go sit in the forest and try and contact the spirit of the trees. I talk to the trees, that's why they locked me away. Most of you are too young to even know that song. But anyway. And then I tried transcendental meditation, and then I tried Buddhism and the Eightfold Path of Ahimsa. I mean, I really tried. I really went for it, man. I, I studied Quran, studied Islam, 
And finally, I became a Hindu. And I mean a real strict Hindu. I joined the Hare Krishna group and read the Hindu scriptures. Srimvad Bhagavatam, Bhagavad Gita, Upanishads. And it was required of me in that movement, I got very serious. It was required of me to be celibate, even though I was married. So when I say I tried religion, I was really serious. When you're in your early 20s and you're celibate for 10 months, I'm wearing uh, saffron robes, got tilak clay from the Ganges on my face, studying Bhagavad Gita, getting up at four o'clock in the morning, doing bhakti yoga for two and a half hours. I, I used to pull my little, a little, little thing you used to wear under your robes very tightly because after 10 months, you want to just keep things really tight down there. But anyway. <laughs> and I knew something's not working. I just, I just thought, look, I'm, I'm really trying. I just thought I'm really trying. I'm really trying hard, but where's, where's that presence? Where's that presence I felt at six years? Where's that presence? I'm doing everything. I'm a vegetarian and I'm a South African and South Africans love meat. I'm a vegetarian and a eunuch. Oh, I mean, I mean, a cel- and celibate. And after 10 months, Glenda started flickering her eyelashes at me and she started seducing me. My wife wanted me in her bed and we didn't have beds. We slept on the concrete floor on a mat. Because you see, you mustn't have any pleasure in this cult of Hindus that we're in. Because if, if you want to go to Vaikuntha at the end of this life, if you want to escape the cycle of transmigration of the soul or reincarnation, then you've got to have no pleasure in this world, no pleasure in your body, no pleasure. You must just focus on God. And when you get, if you're focused on God when you die, you'll escape the meaningless cycle of reincarnation and go back to Vaikuntha. So you can't even have sex in marriage except for procreation. And so if you're going to have procreation, you've got to chant on your bhakta beads for two and a half hours. So you're so transcendent, you don't even realize you're having sex. I'm just saying that religion is man's best attempt to get to God. But the kingdom of heaven, Christianity is God's initiative to get to us. And one night, Glenda came after 10 months of me being strict and celibate, and she charmed me. Man, she was so seductive. And I resisted her for 10 seconds. (laughs) And our second son, Ryan, was conceived. And Ryan is an author and he pastors with us in Hong Kong and he's a great leader and uh, he's got a great revelation on the goodness of God and he was conceived in religious rebellion against the laws. And so that's why he's a rebel against religious stuffiness. He was conceived in an act of religious rebellion. You don't know whether to laugh about that or not, do you? But anyway, <laughs> this doesn't sound right, religious rebellion. Yeah, I know I was. In the middle of that, we had gone to, a a man came and preached in that city. And I kind of sneaked into the meetings and there were miracles. People came out of wheelchairs, preaching in the name of Jesus. So powerful, signs and wonders and miracles and healings. And I felt something of that presence come into that room. It's really Jesus. And and so they had the salvation call. People put their hands up. I put my hand up and I went forward. But when the counselors came, I said, 
I'm a Hare Krishna devotee. I'm not a Christian. I'm not giving my life to Jesus. But I want you to pray that if I'm wrong in what I'm doing in my religion, your Jesus will reveal himself to me. Now, I've challenged many people that say, I don't know if Jesus is the only way. Surely there must be many ways. I said, just ask Jesus to come into your, to interfere with your life. That if you're wrong, if you're deceived, just ask Him to come in. Friends, religion, it's not about how sincere you are. It's not about how sincere you are. You've got to sincerely believe what is actually the truth. There's a man who sincerely believed that trains didn't run on a Sunday in England many years ago and took his family across the railway tracks, sincerely believing trains didn't run on a Sunday and killed his wife and maimed his children. He was sincere, but what he was believing was wrong. It wasn't the truth. And when, when Jesus Christ says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me, he was either a total liar or he was totally deceived, lunatic, totally deluded, or he was what he was saying. But in our politically correct world today, and I'm not anti-religious people, I'm not trying to criticize religious people. I'm, I believe ISIS, they're the most radical members of the Islamic ISIS. Many of them are gonna be born again and make the greatest Christians. If you can be that radical. Paul the apostle was a radical against Christianity and he ran into God, he ran into Jesus. Jesus spoke to him. I love radical people. I love people out there that are radical because I look at them and go, you're just the people the kingdom needs. <laughs> we need you. Amen. So I, I said, if I'm wrong, let me know. And you know what? Guys, <laughs> it's just like Jesus is a towering figure of uniqueness. He, he's just like, not like anyone else before. Even the Quran, if you read it, admits he was virgin born. Now, that in itself means that he does not carry the fallenness of human nature. Now, Buddha, Muhammad, Krishna, Chaitanya, Marapabu, and every other guru all had a mother and a father and all had the seed, the lineage of fallenness in their bodies and DNA. But Jesus was born of a virgin by the Holy Spirit overshadowing Mary's body. That makes him a towering, unique figure. I'm glad my Savior could die on a cross for me and shed the very blood of God for the forgiveness of my sins because he was virgin born. Because he, did, he was not conceived in the fallenness of man's nature. I'm glad that he rose again from the dead. Again, not been unkind, but the testimony of history Buddha's grave occupied, or he was cremated. Muhammad's grave occupied. Every other religious great leader, their graves occupied. The grave of Jesus is empty. Come on. Buddha, Muhammad, Chaitanya Marapabu, and every other guru. They came and taught some interesting principles. Buddha, the Eightfold Path of Ahimsa. All of these principles, there's many universal similarities and they're all fine and it's okay. But they all died and never rose again. Jesus rose from the dead. He doesn't leave us principles. He gives us a living, vital presence, alive. A Savior coming back. 
And from that day on, everywhere I went, when I said, I want your Jesus to show me whether I'm wrong or right, I was finished. That day, the hound of heaven, God sent his hounds after me, the angelic hosts of heaven. And then the mighty God, the Holy Spirit, convicted me nonstop for three months. I felt nauseous. I felt like puking at times. I was going, who is this? There's an invisible presence chasing me down. I felt convicted of my sin of unbelief in Jesus Christ. I knew something was wrong. I could wake up at night, fall out of my bed, roll on the ground, cry out, who are you? What is, what is this? Everywhere I went. When, when people get to that high state of conviction, let me tell you that everywhere you turn, there's someone sharing the gospel with you. I would go out in the streets to try and convert people to Krishna. And I... I couldn't move because Christians would just come out of the crowd and just come like heat-seeking missiles. The Spirit of God would guard them. I could see them coming before they spoke. I knew, oh no, here comes another Christian. And I can tell you, some of them were clumsy and they kind of reinforced my idea that I don't want to be one of them. But there were others that, that carried something even though I, I won the argument, intellectually I defeated them. But I walked away so troubled because that, that, don't underestimate the Spirit of God on the inside of you. You, you, may, you may say a few silly little words. It's not about intellectualism. People don't get converted because you intellectually win the argument. When someone has got appendicitis, the doctor doesn't bring a 10-foot pole and swing it into their side. All he has to do is just touch very softly there and there's great conviction, great revelation that something's wrong. When the Spirit of God is moving and being poured out across Australia, across Adelaide, there are people now that you wouldn't even think for a moment that they're under conviction. They won't let you know, but you just prod gently and lovingly on their spiritual appendix and their inner God consciousness knows that what you're saying is the truth. Yeah. I remember we'd, we'd go there, we'd, we would sell our books in the street and play on the Madungas, boom, chicka ching chicka boom, chicka ching and, uh, and I used to love playing the drums and singing because I had to let my sexual energy out somewhere else. <laughs> so I used to play pretty hot, boom, chicka ching See, Glenda, don't tempt me again. And these Christians would come up to me. One lady came up, I thought she was 80, but she probably was only 40. But when you're 23, everyone looks like they're really old. I think she was about 70. She walked up to me. I'm standing there with Glenda. She's in, Glenda's in a sari. I'm in a, I'm in a saffron robe and uh, got my Bhagavad Gita. And she comes up and she says, what are you? Now, she didn't understand personal space. Okay. Now, Chinese people don't understand personal space either. If you come to Hong Kong, you'll see what I mean. But Westerners understand personal space. She walked up to me in the street. Racha, who boobs against me. But I mean, she was old, okay, but she's Racha. And, she's looking, and she looks right into my face with piercing blue eyes. About a 70-year-old lady, young. And she says, and she looks up at me and goes, she looks at me in this saffron, my hair shaved, I've got a ponytail. She says, what are you trying to do, young man? 
I said, well, we're about Krishna consciousness and the Bhagavad Gita. And she let me go for about five minutes. And then she just said, there, there, there. Okay, that's good, dear. And she, wasn't, she was like Kathy. She was in charge. She just, she just said, there, there, there. That's there. She said, but can I tell you about Jesus? And when she said the word Jesus, it was like someone punched me in my, my conscience again. And she went on to just talk with her eyes of blazing about how wonderful Jesus is and how she's walked with him for decades. And, and, and the fear of God, I mean, conviction that I was wrong hit me. Now, I'd been in combat against Soviet-trained, highly skilled troops on their own territory, and I'd gone into firefights with a very savage enemy. But I, I freely admit tonight that I was more afraid of this believer full of grace and power than of Soviet-trained troops. I picked up my robe, grabbed Glenda's arm, and ran down the street like this, running, running from an old lady full of God. I ran, I literally ran. I ran, I ran, I ran, I ran like this. I ran and in West Street, Durban. I ran and I ran down a little side alley, fast to get away. And at the corner of my eye, I saw Methodist Christian bookshop on the side there. And I saw someone running out the bookshop and I just started running even faster. And as fast as I ran, holding up my sorry, I mean, Glenda's sorry, as I, ran, I suddenly aware someone's running next to me. While I'm running, someone's running next to me. This is Christianity in relays. The old lady didn't move, she's still there. This person in the bookstore didn't know what had happened to the old lady and me. She just saw me running by. She came run out and came running next to me. She had a Bible tract on how to get saved. And she just, while I'm running like this, put it under my armpit and said, God bless you. And she peeled off. And I ran, I ran into, into a restaurant and I wanted to climb under the table and say, Glenda, they're coming. The Christians are coming from everywhere. Can't get away. The next day I'm in the temple and there's these big statues, idols of Krishna and Radharani. And they've got these big headdresses and the Spirit of God says to me, look up. And I look up and he says, let me show you something. As he says that, both statues just go fall to the ground. I go, whoa. And to cut a long story short, a few days later, an Indian man, again, while I was trying to share Hare Krishna on the street, an Indian man walked up to me and he said, I used to be Hindu. He said, but I came to Jesus. I thought, oh no, they're here again. I said, why? He said, well, it's like mankind was in the bottom of a well and all human beings know there's nobility in the human being. There's nobility in the human soul. But somehow there's a twist on it. Somehow there's a warping on it. A bias towards evil. A bi we can do good things, but we've got this bias towards violence. We are across our planet. We, there's horrible things being done to other people in the name of religion or atheism. Whatever it is, there's this bias to murder and to terrible things. And we're in the bottom of that well. And religious leaders came and stood at the top of that well and looked down at us, the human race. And they said, if you follow the eightfold path of Ahimsa and you keep it strictly as Buddha taught, you can come out of the well. Moses said, if you keep the 10 commandments, you can come out of the well. And all of these people spoke about, Muhammad said, if you do this and that, you can come out and eventually you can get out and get heaven one day. But Jesus 
did not stand at the top of that well and tell us what to do. Jesus came right down into the well. Virgin born, virgin born, right down in the bottom of the well. And He took our sins. He identified with our sins. Virgin born Son of God. He took our sins. He took the curse of the law. He took our judgment. And He redeemed us from the slave market. And He declared us to be righteous forever. All our sins forgiven. If we, all we have to do is repent and believe on the name of Jesus Christ. I went on my way. I went back to the temple. I got in the cell by myself, and I said, Lord, I, don't, I, I didn't say Lord, sorry, I didn't say Lord. I was shaking with conviction. And, and I, I tell you this, this is really what happened. I'm standing there, I'm shaking with conviction. Can you see the instrumentality of human beings that reached out to me? A lot of them, many, many. And I'm standing there, and I'm shaking in my cell. Got my hair shaved, standing there, and suddenly, what I felt as a six-year-old boy came into that cell. It was no longer that conviction of the Holy Spirit. Now it was that beautiful, loving presence. And he said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I am Jesus. Come follow me. That was 37, 38 years ago. I have not backslidden for 38 years. I've not got cynical about Jesus or the church. I've been passionate. I've been on fire for 38 years, 37 years. He took a hold of me. He took a hold of me. He got me. He got me. I got him. I close with this. A Muslim man was asked, why did you convert from Islam to Christianity? Why did you receive Christ? He said, if you were walking down a road and you came to a crossroads, a road to the left and the right, and it was vitally important, it had eternal consequences, as to which path you would take. And he said, if there were two men there directing you as to which path to take, and one was dead and one was alive, which one would you follow? Our Jesus is alive. He is risen. And you can meet him tonight in this place. Before you even walk out of this room, you can meet him. You don't need to delay it anymore. You can come the easy way, you can come the hard way. But once he locks onto you, he's coming after you with a fierce love because he loves you with an everlasting love. Can you say amen? Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au. 